commence primary ignition. This is Star Wars. Look out! You may fire when ready. Trans the bright center of the galaxy. I'm Rex Combat, and you're listening to Core World News. Your all-net news show, the in-depth coverage and analysis of the latest stories from around the galaxy. Now for a reading Raptor special. But first, new details about the Jedi Knights, the upcoming High Republic publishing event revealed on StarWars.com. Now be your hosts, Ben Grant to discuss. Thank you very much, Grex. Uh, and welcome back to another core world news. Um, and yeah, we're going to d- dig deep into some um, some books and publications that have come out recently and will be coming out in the future. Um, so this is a, a special little interesting nugget of information that came out um, about the the new characters, little bios for each of uh, the new characters in the High Republic novel. So that was a nice little surprise. Uh, yeah. What did you both think about this? Uh, I like to, should we remind people what, what the higher public entails? Just good idea. Um, good idea. Yeah. So what is it? It's, it's 200 years before the, uh, before the, the prequels. prequels. Uh, Phantom Menace. Yeah. Phantom Menace. Phantom I couldn't Menace. remember. It was I couldn't remember exactly where it started. So 200 years before we, this is kind of the exact what it sounds like the higher public. This is when the Jedi were at their most powerful and maybe sounds like kind of most, um, clear-minded clear-headed does that make sense yeah it makes yeah sense. i also think it, it and i was thinking about this as i was reading through the um uh sorry the uh, art of rise of skywalker which is we're gonna one of the things we're gonna be talking about in detail um in the next segment um but so much of star wars that we've seen has been this rundown version it's like these burnout husks it's these yeah former temples that were glorious at some time. But now I really feel like we're going to see these temples in their glory. And we're going to see the most beautiful version of these planets that have been colonized and they haven't been ravaged by the empire. And so, um, yeah, so it like, we're actually the high Republic. I think that's the biggest grab for me is that it's going to be a beautiful galaxy. Yeah. And since they're teaming with Marvel comics to do kind of, uh, you know, uh, stories in both book form and comic form, it's gonna be really fun to see this visually. I, I, I'm a, I'm an avid reader. I love reading, but my mind has never been very good at visualizing what's on the page. Does that make sense? Like I, I take it in very narratively and I'm not a good visualizer. Um, so that's why I kind of drift towards comics sometimes. And so I'm very excited to be able to do both and, and kind of figure out the entire world that way. Yeah, it also feels like the Jedi are are far busier in this era. Mm-hmm. It, it feels mm-hmm. like they're 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 campaigning out into the frontiers of you know the the, the outer rim and, and things like that. Wherein in, in the, the prequels, it feels like there's almost like this stagnation. They're almost like sitting, you know, stagnating on Coruscant and and dealing with all the bureaucracy of the Senate and all this kind of stuff. It just feels like it feels like this is gonna, this is this whole era is going to be loaded with adventure and that's yeah. and on the frontiers of you know wild space and beyond it's just it's it's exciting like i'm really excited for for this this whole publishing event me too it'd be it'd be really nice if um through this series you see them in a very peaceful way bringing new systems into the republic and through you know just like I don't know, you know, like peaceful interactions or maybe some liberation from some, you know, settling domestic disputes and showing off the real power of, you know, having this be a a globalization is what we'd use for our planet. But like, a you know, globalization of a a galaxy, galaxization. I I don't know. I made that up. 
Yeah, and the more I hear about Starlight Beacon or Starlight Station, it, I, I draw a lot of comparisons to the Starship Enterprise and like the possibility that there could be Jedi on this station that are kind of monitoring all these new planets or these new systems that are just being discovered and, yeah. and kind of trying to figure out what to do about these systems and, and these governments and these cultures and things like that. And I feel like I, I feel like that could be the direction it might go in, but I would be more interested if, you know, in other, you know, uses I think, for that station. But yeah, I think that's might might be where we start. And kind of to double down on this on the Star Trek reference, um, I was reading through this article on StarWars.com that's all about this and we'll, we'll hit a little more into the specific characters, but I have a quote here from Michael Siglane, who's the uh, publishing uh, creative director at Lucasfilm. And his description of the era is that this is a hopeful, optimistic time when the Jedi are good and noble, and we want to reflect that in their characters. The Jedi Knights of the High Republic are both aspirational and inspirational. In short, they're the good guys, right? It sounds very yeah. Federation in Star Trek. Right. Like yeah, the law. Blank goes bad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And speaking of noble, uh, do you want to run through some of these characters and starting with our our most noble character that we <laughs> introduced, introduced to today, which sure. is um, Avar Chris. She's the first listed in this this list of Jedi that were introduced today on the website. And um, uh, or the introduction is a little longer than than kind of what I wrote down. I wrote down she's brilliant, noble, compassionate Jedi master. And she's she's kind of being touted as the best of the best, which. Yeah really really interesting uh she seems almost like the mace windu or the yoda of this this uh huh. this era or this i, I was this gonna regime. say i was gonna say she's the obi-wan kenobi of this mm. but, oh, uh, quite possibly in terms of like because yeah. he's kind of the white knight he's just like pure of the force doing all that things whereas i, I always equate yoda and mace as being tied up in bureaucracy sort of a little too far gone right. but well, oh, there's a line she a is point. compassionate not dogmatic right that's very obi-wan yeah, yeah. Right. Not to pick a side between you and Grant. No, but you picked the right side, and so we all appreciate it. <laughs> um, we also got a Loden Great Storm. Okay. I think he wins for best name, guys. I got yeah. I I got a real straightforward question. Uh, two games of Throny, or just the right amount of games of Throny with that name? I think we need to like see more from Loden Great Storm. Yeah. No, it's too. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely Games of Throny. We'll put it there. He's a he's mm -hmm. a Twilight. Uh, he's a Twilight mm -hmm. Jedi. He has a uh, yellow lightsaber, uh, which is yeah. cool. Um, he has a good sense of humor. Every moment is a learning experience. I'm wondering. I, I'm hoping that we get more lightsaber color um, definitions in this because we're going to see a lot more diversity there. And I wonder if um, and that that's a clue to what kind of Jedi he is. Or I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, but cool to get, you know, we, color color variation and, and, and saber length, you know, like variation. The, the stuff like that would be really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, man. He's um, also regarded as a great teacher. Loaded. That's great storm. Yeah. So I wonder that because we know that Ray has a yellow lightsaber at the end of Rise of Skywalker. And I, you know, and she's the keeper of the text. So it's, it's, I don't know. It makes sense for her to, her next step to be as a teacher. And she, faced the greatest battle um, in the history of, of yeah, as far as we know, of the Jedi. So, yeah, yeah I wonder, like, teacher is her next, her next journey. That makes sense with that yellow lightsaber, right? Seems to be kind of teacher, keeper of the information. And, I mean, he's not a, I, I mean, 
I don't want to judge, but I don't he doesn't look like much of a fighter with the outfit he has on. Right. He's got this like flowing robe and cloak, which I love. Like right. also he has he has the actual uh, <laughs> Ph.D. Um, level uh, armholes that I've that I've <laughs> yes. that I'm very familiar with. <laughs> Juice fireboard. Yeah, I, I may have sewed I may have sewed a pocket so I can keep my cell phone in one of those. <laughs> But um, yeah, I, you know he looks very professorial. Yeah. Yes, uh, almost Dumbledore-torial. Mm-hmm. We also got a uh, Keeve Trennis. Uh, I would. Uh, I just wrote down just a self-doubting Jedi Knight who's still trying to prove herself to the renowned masters like Avar Chris. Um, well, there's lots more to find out about that character, I'm sure. But uh, really cool. She has a double-bladed lightsaber. Pretty yeah. sweet. Yeah. Um, She's kind of a newly a new Jedi. She hasn't been a Jedi Knight for long, or not a new, not a new Jedi, a new Jedi Knight, and she hasn't been a Knight for long. So, is that the first time a new canon, new canon that we've seen a double bladed lightsaber on a Jedi? Yes, yes. <laughs> I think canon so. Was I was a just, big, I, <laughs> I was just canon like, was a big canon. issue on Twitter this year, this uh, this week. Really. Yeah, it's a week that, uh, we'll talk that ends that. in a date. All right, <laughs> we'll talk about that after. Um, as far as I know, it is, and because I, I feel like um, they've been trying to keep double bladed lightsabers as sort of a um, a Sith thing, just right. to sort of keep things sorted uh, clearly. I think it, for like you know narrative yeah. tool, um, I think that's you know again we'll talk about that more at the end of um, yeah. the Rise of Skywalker. But I think that might be one of the reasons why they didn't have Ray ultimately choose the double bladed. Yeah. Well, I guess we did see it in Jedi Fallen Order, but I mean, that's an option. So who's to say what the quote unquote canon's playthrough of that storyline is, right? Oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, his master actually. So his master, uh, Cal uh, Kestis's master um, had a double bladed lightsaber. And also in the Clone Wars, there was a uh, uh, a Jedi of the same um, species that is escaping me there. The like six armed or four armed species, big hulking um, things, and um, he was he oh, was the bad right. Jedi, the Jedi that ended up to, like slaughtering all of yeah, the yeah uh, Dexter Jetsters race that I can't think of what they're called. Right. Yeah, yeah. All and right, so I'm glad I asked that, that that's question. Canon. <laughs> that's canon. I asked that question and immediately went, "Oh yeah, we have like multiple times." Moving on. <laughs> well, it's good. It was Stellan, Stellan Geos. <laughs> Stellan Geos or Geos. Is it Geos? Yeah. Yeah, I think we're spending too much time on the last name, and I just want to talk about Stellan all day long. That's, that's interesting. That's up there with Tobias Beckett on my, on my chart of names. <laughs> you don't like Stellan? Is that uh, too uh, wow. too real for you? I don't. It's uh, that's that's also seems to imply I dislike the name Tobias Beckett. I just think it's a very interesting. It sounds not very Star Warsy, but hey, that's okay. <laughs> All I know is if there's a captain of the football team on the Jedi Knights, Stellan Gaios is the captain. That's he's. I was going to go lacrosse, but we can go football. Oh, you can go lacrosse. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> lacrosse, bro. He is the most broiest bro in this lineup. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I can agree with that. Uh, um, but he also he has a, a very cool lightsaber hilt. It is full on um, what Claymore is that the uh, the correct term, Grant? Oh yeah, the cross guard is kind of have that has that upturned cross guard like a, oh, a claymore yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's a it's a metal cross guard. It's not like a part of the saber beam in any way. So it's actually it's right. quite different than 
Kylo's um, saber. So what? Well, I guess it serves a purpose as long as you're not fighting against a lightsaber, which I guess you wouldn't in the High Republic, right? Because there's no Sith, so you wouldn't be doing much lightsaber on lightsaber battle. So I guess maybe that stops a vibro blade. Blade. I'm just trying to think. A lightsaber would slice right through that. Right, <laughs> but it keeps your hand from accidentally touching your own lightsaber blade. That's so you got true. That going for you. Yeah. Oh, this is making me very. This is getting my anxiety level up. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe because I mean, it actually, is cut a... my hands multiple times on knives. I'm like, ugh. <laughs> Maybe because it is mimicking the kind of design of a claymore. Maybe the blade is longer, and therefore, you know, where it's where the emission begins, or where, where the emitter is. Maybe there's a, more yeah. of a, a, a ball oh, of energy oh, that's there interesting. that you need to yeah. keep your hands away from. Yeah. But yeah. I guess, I mean, not to go back on my point for a second, though, but I guess these lightsabers are developed not, as most lightsabers we've seen, are not really developed to fight against other lightsabers, right? Because that wouldn't be a thing they've dealt with for generations after the destruction of the Sith. Still, though, I'm, I'm leaning on Path of the Jedi here, which I read recently, which yeah. is not canon, but I still feel is used. They, yeah. It was crucial that they were constantly uh, sparring and uh, lightsaber True. to lightsaber. And I guess there's like a stun mode on lightsabers they could do too to right. sort of. And we still right. don't know the weaponry of the Nile either. I mean, the Nile could just be a dark side users. You know what I mean? For all we know, it could be there could have been a rule of two, and then that there could have been fallout, and whatever Sith was left from that started this whole cult of the Nile. You know, like you never know. Yeah, what their, I think their it's weapon be could be. Lots of vibrate, vibro, vibro, vibro blades. blades. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, which I think actually do stand up against lightsabers if. I don't know if that's still canon. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Cortosis? Yeah. That, that there you go. Oh, and Cortosis, too. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like that. Um, then we have Vernestra Roal. R-W-O-H. I'm going to go Row because, like, they always try to find the weirdest way to spell a really easy-to-say word, and that would be Row. Yeah. And they've also shortened it here, Vernestra, to burn. Which is like that Vern Rowe probably would hang out with Tobias Becker. Yeah. Had they been alive at the same time. Uh, so Vern was uh, Padawan to Stellan Gaius um, and uh, works hard. So, so another newbie devoted to the Jedi Order. Um, more so than most others at her age. So maybe another sort of potential Obi-Wan um, young um, person here. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and an alien of some kind, right? Yeah, like a, like a we don't they don't name check her species though, right? I don't think is it the same species as Luminara? No, well, they have tattoos like those blue Luminara. diamond tattoos, um, or I thought those were skin markings, and she doesn't have that, but she is other otherwise. Yes, I would say she looks a lot yeah. like Luminara. I'm just pointing it out because I'm glad two out of the five people we, we get are, are aliens. So I want lots and lots yeah. of aliens on this Jedi council. Right. Or not council, but Jedi. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Oh, uh, yeah. So that's two. Yeah. Cool. So basically, we, we covered them all, but um, in Stellan Gaios's introduction, there is a little bit about his relationship with Avar Chris and how they're they're kind of friendly and uh, Compa- not companions, but I guess they, they fight together and they're a powerhouse, you know, uh, duo when they do work together. And uh, it makes me think there could be a romantic connection there. Yeah. They look all like Conan and whoever she Conan is. Um, I can see them fighting yeah, a lot. They really there. do, yeah. 
like, they look like counterparts for sure. Yeah. Uh, put give Conan uh, a lightsaber and um, the she Conan a lightsaber and like that. That's what they look like standing. <laughs> but it might be that whole like forbidden love type thing where you know the love that can't be. And they're, they're, oh, they're, true. So keep, true. They keep their distance, but there's that longing throughout the literature. Like I, you know, I feel like that might be the play with those characters. I was yeah. gonna say so that this is gonna probably negate the next question I have. But since this is a Star Wars novel and we have lots of Jedi, which of these five? Is going to fall because one of them's going to be one of the fallen Jedi, right? Don't we think? Like one of them's going to going to turn. Bad. Yeah, I think it's either Avar Chris or Stellan Guy. I think yeah, Stellan it's, falls. It's Stellan, right? <laughs> like that guy's. That's that's a that's a word I can't say if I want to keep my keep our you know non E rating. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I, I think an event happens and. Avar Chris is, disappears and Stellan Gaius reacts to that and falls. Mm-hmm. That's like kind of my prediction. Totally. I was going to say um, Vern uh, Rowe is going to be my uh, That's most likely one. to fall because she's like very opinionated, very um, oh, man. I am so sorry. I have no words today. Uh, it's the I'm, I'm the whole um, whatever plague. <laughs> of brain. You know, the uh, Rona, but, the Rona. It's ravaging the galaxy. It's understandable. Yeah. But um, the but, invisible but, enemy as, as some moof milkers. Like yeah. So she, Vern is dressed exactly like Ray, like very similar. Oh, yeah. Right? Um, yeah. But I feel like she might have some more Anakin Skywalker in her, like just, you know, I don't know, opinionated, yep. very just, I don't know, thinks the, the galaxy should go a certain way and maybe she sees them go a different way. And I don't know. I don't know. That's just that's a good call. She's also like it says here's one of the youngest knights in a, in a generation. And it talks about her not fitting with adults but also trying to be a good example for young Jedi. So she feels like she's kind of between two worlds. So maybe she feels right. alone. Right. So mm. interesting. Yeah. Right. Ideological was the word I was trying to think. There you uh, go. Got uh, there. And maybe. Yeah. Cool. It's she still going to be Stellan, though, because I mean, just look at Stellan. <laughs> I don't know. He's too uh, square jawed to turn, I think. And look at that hair. That is quite something. That's like, I guess it's true. Like, have we seen? Oh, I guess have we seen Timothy Oliphant play bad? But we have in Die Hard, Live Free or Die Hard, Die Hard Four. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the most handsome hacker ever. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, well. I mean that's that's pretty much it. I think we covered it. I mean, there's not much else to cover as far as canon goes. Uh, uh, a lot of people, a lot of people from Lucasfilm are sharing an article on Twitter uh, recently, and it's called. Um, uh, our fascination with canon is killing the way we value stories. Uh, it's written by James Whitbrook. It was on io9. And um, essentially the article makes like this really good point that uh, establishing establishing a canon is a good way to like bring order to the chaos that comes with the complicated fantasy world, universe, or galaxy. It's also helpful in scaling fantasy worlds, developing characters, interweaving or, inter- or enmeshing uh, you know, distinct and separate storylines so they can create a unified message or an organic cohesion, blah, blah, blah. But like Canon shouldn't be regarded as a law that dictates what's possible in a fantasy setting and your your subjective understanding of the small details that shouldn't just determine like your level of fandom. So like just don't be a gatekeeper. I think that's Dude, essentially yeah. what yeah. the article was saying. And I was like, just don't be a gatekeeper. You know, uh, if anything, tell teach people what you've learned. Like teach people about, you know, your own joy and fascination with all these details of this this galaxy. Like don't don't harbor all that and be a gatekeeper. It makes no sense. And it was, it was really, really interesting article. I think everyone should read it. Cause I think it would help the kind of climate in the fan, the fandom right now. So yeah, I definitely go to IO9 and read that, read that. Article. Uh, 
I will say the worst answer to a question of like, wouldn't it be cool if they did X is well in blah, blah, blah. They couldn't because of blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, don't don't. Oh, my do God. That unless, I am that guy. Well, unless you're with, <laughs> unless you're hanging out with us and you want to have that conversation. Like, do you know right. what I mean? But if you're like with a casual fan, like let right. like that, because like Carly will do that quite a bit. Like she'd be like, wouldn't it be super cool if they do this. And we've yeah. talked about it. She watched, she watched the movies and The Mandalorian. That's pretty much it. But she watches them a lot. I mean, we watched three Star Wars movies this week on her request. Right. So she's a huge movie fan. Um, but, like, the last thing I want to do is, like, stifle her engagement and creativity by telling her, oh, they couldn't do that because in, you know, last shot this happened, right? Where I'm just like, that would be really cool because that would be really cool. Right. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there's also the point that there's the point that, you know, fascination and obsession with canon devolves the conversation around the films. Like we're not picking up on the themes, the character growth, the the overarching journeys. Like we're really kind of just plucking out these small details that are pretty much insignificant in comparison to the, the human story, the myth, you know, the actual themes being. Yeah. Related. Unless you hold, yeah. unless you host a weekly Star Wars podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. I, I mean, we. I mean, I, no, we're, I, we're I, guilty. I we we're, we meticulously catalog and you know engrave in stone every little like additional detail they add. But it's like, I, I think none of us. We're ne- we're never gatekeepery about it. No. You know? And, no. and I love canon and I love it as an idea of like how does this fit? Like I I always look at it as like a giant puzzle where everything fits, but. If something doesn't quite fit because of canon, I always like mark that as a curiosity, not as like I proved that this is this doesn't work. I'm always like, ooh, that's neat. I, one of my favorite things about the book from a certain point of view, if read that book if you're obsessed with canon, because it violates canon at least 50 times in that book, because there's literally quotes, misquotes from the movies, things that don't quite happen, because yeah. it's taking the idea of it's different people's views of what happened. And I think that's the way to approach it, is that these are these are these are artifacts from a world, right? And so it's like even if you're trying to create real history, U.S. history, you're going to read five different perspectives of something that happened, and they're all going to try and get to the truth, but they're all going to have slightly different perspectives. And I kind of look at that. I never have a slave to canon. I just kind of find it fascinating to be like, oh, look at these things that kind of contradict each other. You know, which one was real? Yeah. Like it's kind of just a fun way. Yeah, I mean, and I yeah. think Lucasfilm and. Disney uh, left the door open for that by calling everything that came before legends. And mm-hmm. I mean, that that's a, a clever way of saying that's from a certain point of view. It's like, well, these yeah. stories were also told and um, you know, and some of it will be true and some of it isn't. And you know, you're, you're up to do that. I, I know a lot of the expanded universe fans um, rubbed up against that in a tough way. And they took it really hard when it's like, Oh no, but this is actual canon. But uh, I just yeah. really look at it as an administrative move. And I mean, exactly. we've already seen Thrawn and, you know, a, a bunch of other characters get pulled into um, into the canon world. And um, a lot of doors opened towards making a lot of that stuff real. Uh, there, uh, John Kasdan did a lot of work in Solo, making a lot of that expanded universe stuff. Um, <laughs> yeah, Which, he did. sadly, he, he recently was was interviewed and he said there are no plans on the horizon for any sort of sequel to solo or any sort of, you know, Disney plus series. So uh, yeah, I rewatched solo this week, as I said, I would, if you listen to the last, <laughs> our last episode. And that is a shame, but that movie is going to age very, very, very well. I think, I think it is a nice breather. It was a nice breather. I love the, the sequel trilogy, but that is, those are heavy, heavy movies where I'm like, 
like the emotions that I go through when I like I was like crying reading the end of the Rise of Skywalker. Like that movie Same. hits me like a ton of bricks. And if it doesn't, it's still even if it doesn't, it's still like world or galaxy ending. Right. Like the, the stakes are so high in these movies that to, to watch solo where the stake is like, are they going to get the heists? Like, like there's, yeah. it's 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 character based and low stakes. And it's like it's just such a nice, refreshing, just like fun adventure story. And I think mm-hmm. it's nice. It stands alone more than Rogue One. Right. In a lot of ways, like you could watch that movie. You could watch Solo and have no idea who Han Solo or any of these people are and still just leave that movie at the end going. That was a fun story. Right. Like and just that was a fun action adventure story. Yeah. And it does not hit you over the head. I feel like it doesn't hit you over the head with um with fan service, there's a lot in there if you want to engage, but it's not doing it in ways that I feel like sometimes I love Rogue One. Sometimes Rogue One hits to me. There's yeah. a couple of clunkers in there. Um, so I feel like it's going to age really well. And I think we might revisit this galaxy, this this part of the galaxy in a few years when people are kind of like, you know what I want to watch today? Solo. Yeah. Yeah. The, the yeah, comedy in Solo is genius as well. Oh, like, my there God. Are some, yeah. Uh, when uh, uh, what's his name? Um, when. Um, Dryden Voss is like, oh, he's hungry. And Han's like, Han wants to engage in like the mission or whatever. And he's like, he's like, oh, yeah. the boy's hungry. I was like, that is uh, the timing, comedic timing of that moment. Yeah. Oh, man. So good. Yeah. Or mining colonies are the worst. Like that line yes. gets me yeah. every single time. <laughs> I laughed really hard at and it really hurt my thumbs. <laughs> yeah, that was so good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, I think I'm going to go watch Solo again movie. right now. Um, Back to the uh, discussion on um, yeah, canon. Uh, no, back to the discussion on canon. I think uh, it's important to remember that you know the best stories are specific yet universal. You know, so I think mm-hmm. you can't just you can't uh, you can't shame someone for not knowing all the specifics specifics of a story, but you can be sure that they picked up on the universal messages of a story, and, uh, and that's that's the most important stuff, really. True. So don't be a gatekeeper. Don't be a wise ass. Bill Burr said it in The Mandalorian. It's Disney approved. I can say it here. Um, and that's it. That's I mean, that was, yeah. go read that article. I think it will change yeah. the climate of the, of the fandom. Hey, if someone wants to talk to you about Star Star Wars, just be happy we live in a world where people can talk about Star Wars whenever they want. Like, yeah. I, I grew up in the 80s. <laughs> like, if you said Star Wars, not in the right circles, you were your, your Shut social up, dead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can wear my yeah. Star Wars t-shirts loud and proud. Read. Alright, welcome to Reading Raftar. I will be uh, LeVar Burton for this segment. Um... We are covering the Rise of Skywalker novelization written by the wonderful Ray Carson. Um, I was so happy to read this book. It offered so much new context and detail to all those scenes that felt overly hasty in the film. You know, like the film to me felt a bit fast paced. <laughs> yeah, hasty. I over over hasty is kind of the word I've been throwing around. And yeah. um this book slows things down and really dives deep into the internal thought process and motivations and, 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 and the characters in, in such a way that I was, I was so happy to get more time with specifically Leia. And I think there's new, there's kind of more to the introduction and the opening of the, the story with, uh, with Leia 
um, talking about her training with with Luke and why she left. And it was just all this kind of beautiful uh, dialogue between Ray and Leia that I so wish was in the film. But I know, you know, with what footage we had of Carrie, we couldn't uh, couldn't get those moments per se. But um, Ray Carson just added so much beautiful context to their relationship. Uh, the yeah. master and pupil relationship between Leia and Ray, and uh, just I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was really, really gorgeous stuff. And there's so many amazing scenes in the novel that I, I just wish were in the movie. And I think we all had that same kind of uh, thought process where we're like, "Oh, it's so good and it's so interesting." And even if though it's not economic and it's not moving the story forward, at, you know, as fast as it could, these scenes have really beautiful aesthetic choices. They have really, you know, beautiful uh, character moments and emotions and these poignant beats that, that, that really yeah. would have amplified the movie. And um, yeah, I just, I loved this novel. I thought the novel added so much to the film and uh, I can't wait to watch the film again yeah. after having read the novel. Right. I think as someone that pays really close attention to star Wars all the time and everything that happens, it feels hasty because I know there's beats there that are super interesting. And, and I have questions about all of those beats and um, and I think that's why I had a tough time keeping up with this this movie. And like now, you know, six or seven watches in, I'm still seeing new stuff. Um, and uh, and it's so interesting. And so, you know, I, I just read this and I, I mentioned this off air, but I think it bears mentioning. So I, I really just highlighted parts that were new information that added to points that I had questions about as I was watching the movie that I wanted to know information about. And I did that one hundred and fourteen times in the book. Yeah. <laughs> that's how much new right. stuff is in this novel so if you're thinking about reading it uh, this might be a good idea yeah. though we're going mean, to cover that's... it here re- as much as we can as thoroughly as we can you know I was surprised too because I read through a lot of the think pieces that came out like when the um, the the promo copies of this went out a few weeks ago and I was kind of reading it I, I don't often read the novelizations I, though sometimes I do but I was kind of like do I even want to do that now hasn't it really been covered and I was still shocked with how much was not covered in the press about this stuff and Ben I had a similar uh, we talked off air Ben had Ben did it through uh, he did it he did it through you know an ebook Kindle. and then took Kindle and took pictures I have an old school print edition and I folded over the pages and you probably can't see I'm showing the guys half the pages are dog-eared yeah so it's very similar because it's just like and I did the same thing only when there was something new or gave new light to something that I did I underline and it was like almost every other page yeah so really great so why don't we get into it we want to do this uh, chronologically um and so and and it really starts off with a bang right yeah I mean so page one we already have a huge difference in how the story starts right I mean it starts on a completely different scene. Right. It, it starts with the dual scene between um, Luke and Leia, right? Uh, back in uh, a throwback. So this is actually, if you've listened to us a lot, you know, we <laughs> there was a lot of talk about having the beginning of this movie be like the beginning of uh, Return of the King with like a uh, flashback. Um, we didn't guess this flashback, but it was a flashback and it was to Luke training Leia on um, on Age on Kloss after um, after Return of the Jedi. Right. Yeah, it's, this, it's this beautiful runway to the whole Ray training sequence. And we just we simply don't get it in the film. We start we start late in the action where she's, you know, tra- she's floating or whatever. And she's, you know, in the process of training. Whereas this we get a lot of, of Luke and Leia. Uh, we get Ray talking to Leia about why she, you know, stopped her training, why she left yep. all this beautiful dialogue. Yeah. And then 
and Leia's reason reasoning was uh, another life called to me, like uh, visions of serving the galaxy in a different way. So we know she had these visions of being uh, a politician and being a general and and making a change in that in that fashion. And I think that's really beautiful and interesting to think about because this is all this was also a path of the force. The force was calling to her to go down this path, and it, it doesn't mean she has to be a Jedi. It means that she's going to affect the galaxy in a different way. And um, I, she totally did. I mean, it's Leia had, has done. If without Leia, we would have no resistance. The First Order probably consumed the galaxy. I mean, that path was her destiny in, in in a strange way. That's kind of how I see it. And I think Leia was totally right to to believe in those visions and take on yeah. that 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 role. And yeah, they kind and of so, flat out state ahead. that a little later on. They almost state that that's Leia's path. Like this is this was all leading to this. Right, every decision along the route um but my mind was blown really pretty instantaneously a couple of pages in when when leia is reflecting i'm just going to read this off for a second leia was no jedi master but she had learned from the best and not just from luke over the years she'd occasionally heard the voice of obi-wan kenobi through the force and even more rarely that of yoda what like there are like i want now i need to see that i need to see like force ghosts obi-wan and yoda or voices at least talking to leia yeah, yeah. I think. Be... Yeah. Hey, I think so Luke, they... Luke even states. Oh, you go, Ben. Sorry. Sorry, I just wanted to interject this one point because we we glossed over the fact that we also read the art of book, and I actually read all of the the you know the production pieces in between all the the art, and um, but one of the things they mentioned, and I know Grant, you um, uh, talked about this earlier offline, was they really wanted to look at Leia as sort of like the Obi-Wan of the trilogy of trilogies where she's sort of she puts her in a much more prominent role where she's playing all of them really and or is really you know the the emperor's opposite number through this through this whole series mm-hmm. yeah and that was that was decided as early as 2014 i believe it's stated in the art of book which was pretty right. astounding it'd be like wow okay that was the direction I mean, very early on yeah. It fits, right? What we were promised um, was, you know, seven was Han's movie, eight was Luke, and nine was Leia. And, and you know, we can't, you know, state it enough, but I mean, it's just a horrible tragedy of life that Carrie Fisher passed away, but it also did affect those plans. I think they did a really tremendous job with, with the footage they have, but like, I would have loved to see, obviously, we all would have loved to see what, what the story would have been if they had her completely. Yeah, and they, I think in the art of book, they also talk about, you know, obviously the tragedy and injustices against Padme and how this is kind of the rise of the triumph, of the matriarchy. And, and you definitely feel that with Leia and Rey and their relationship and the kind of rising above all that brooding and idiocy that came with these you know, confused characters like Anakin and, you know, and Luke and even Luke to, to, to that degree, especially mm-hmm. in The Last Jedi, where he's kind of cynical and he's lost and. He has to come back into the fold. It's like Leia really made the difference when you think about it. I mean, Luke left the ball game, you know, and she yeah. Yeah. stayed stayed in there. You know, it's like yeah. Leia really was the the change maker in this this whole this era. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I read something else recently where um I think it was Pablo was talking about Luke is or Ryan Johnson. Sorry. And here's my, here goes my, all my facts. Get ready for facts coming from Ben. Cause I got all the facts. <laughs> They're just, there's just a lot of them and only some of them are true. Um, Fake hollow news. Right. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> yeah. This is faux news core world news edition. Um, 
So, uh, but he, he mentioned that um, uh, Luke is really the Frodo character for Lord of the Rings fans out there, and it's like mm-hmm. he's just damaged. Like he's that was Filoni. Oh, yeah. it was Filoni. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. it was Filoni. And um, <laughs> you know, and he's he's damaged this whole thing, and he like it, it, he just he's constantly suffering. There's no real healing for him and his character. Um, so that would make Leia sort of the supporting character. And for some reason, I can't think of his best friend Hobbit, but, um, uh, Samwise Ganji Samwise. Yeah. She's kind of the Samwise who's really the truth. Like it, you know, Frodo never would have made it without Samwise. And I think, you know, we didn't see a lot of it on, well, we saw quite a bit of, um, Princess Leia doing amazing things and supporting things on screen. But, um, that was kind of her role was really to get the whole team across the finish line. Can I take this Lord of the Rings analogy a little like like kind of played <laughs> out for a second here? And, You're and already is, there. You're here. And, and, and what I want to state is, I think I think both of you are bigger Lord of the Rings fans than I am. I've read the books um, uh, once, and actually, I might. That's it's actually on my quarantine reading list. I figure, what the heck? I got time. I just read the, the three Lord of the Rings again. But I've watched the movies numerous, numerous times. Um, so the movie spoiler alert ends with Frodo basically leaving, right? Like just going into exile with the other hobbits. It's the age of man now. Like they're kind of leaving, right? It's the very end. One of the well, four endings. He of, leaves, of... leaves with the elves. Yeah, exactly. Oh, with no the elves. Peace, no realm. Yeah. Right. So, but, but, but he's leaving after, after he has conquered the evil, right? After Sauron yeah. is gone, he's earned his rest. <laughs> What we have in Star Wars is Luke leaving <laughs> as if Sauron was like still around and just saying, I'm out. <laughs> like, uh, I could take this. I don't know. It's more like yeah, when please. when Frodo went back to Hobbiton and they mm-hmm. had to liberate that again, um, he just never was right. And then ultimately, you know, right. Had to just went away. But it, it, there was another trial, which I think was more like Luke, who's just oh, like okay. still sort of tortured. In ex in like uh, like oh hey we won but like to Luke it doesn't feel like he's won gotcha and um and obviously because of his thing and then he has to face yet another trial he's called back in it's almost like you know they went to the netherworld or whatever wherever the, the elves go and brought Frodo back for one more trial but that's uh, kind of similar to yeah. what happened in in episode eight then you can kind of think about that right he's brought he's forced to come back at the end of episode eight Luke is so but that's what I mean so, that that didn't really yeah. happen in right. the ring. I mean, unless you want to say, yeah. you know, it was when they had to liberate uh, or uh, Hobbiton again from um, right Sauron. Uh, cool. The the only problem I see about that comparison is that uh, will will Ray's character get the same treatment because she's also dealt with these traumatic experiences where she carry those scars and sort of have to drift into isolation and leave leave the fold. You know what I mean, like. Will she get that same treatment? Because you could make that argument that she should get that same treatment because her her experience has been very similar to Luke's experience. And, um, and I... also, also, I, I feel like Luke, I think there was potential for Luke to be more like the first ring bearer, Bilbo Baggins, because I feel like there's there, there's that sort of like, like especially in the films where he seems he's very tainted by the ring. Bilbo has is tainted by that experience to the point where he feels he's almost yeah. poisoned by it. And I feel like that could have been a very interesting dark avenue for the Luke character to have gone in. That it could have been far more complex and interesting. And then with his with his redemption or with his return to the the battle to the the galactic battle, he could both heal the galaxy and himself. It would be this ultimate healing. And I feel like that could that could have been an interesting route. But I mean to be absolutist and say he was Frodo, he was this kind of 
he was he was living in service for everyone and 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 only cared about his actions and how they affected other people it's like i i i i i think there were other routes you could have gone sure that's um then you should get yeah. that tattooed on your arm <laughs> <laughs> can i Poison can i answer loop. can i address your 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 original question about ray um Sure. About is this the same route Ray's going to take? I hope not, just because um, I, I'd like to see diversity in storytelling. I don't need to see the same notes played again. Um, but I also don't know if her experience is exactly the same as Luke. At the end of the day... I, I didn't say exactly. I said just no, there's, no, no. there's but, some but similarity. There's a lot of similarity. Why, why it may she not be... She tangled with the Empire, with the Emperor. Right, but it may not be as damaging to Ray as it was to Luke. And my thought is Luke or Ray conquered the Emperor in the end. Luke didn't. Luke was Luke was saved by his father, right? Luke right. Luke was just on the ground writhing. Ray always has in her mind that she was the one who got up. She's the one who stood up. She's the one who, who mm. conquered it with all the Jedi behind her, right? Like I feel like it's a more of a triumph in a way, a more self-actualized triumph. So maybe that's why she's not as damaged. But I don't know. I I think you could kind of go whatever route you want because I mean, well, there's like a galactic wide yeah. kumbaya after that whole moment with Luke and the Emperor and Vader. Like, there it does feel like a real victory and a triumph at the end of Return of the Jedi as well. I wouldn't say that. Oh, hey, sure. that's the thing. I think we keep losing sight of that. Like before these yes. films were even made, the Return of the Jedi was a very cathartic ending, and you felt like there was a victory all around for the good guys, mm -hmm. and it was like, yeah. you know. So I, I don't. I mean, yeah. Yeah, no, I agree 100. percent It felt yeah. it felt like the end. Of, it, it was right. It was the end of a series. Totally. You could have stopped there very easily, and that would have been the happy ending. I mean, this was very much like Return of the Jedi too. Uh, you know, under title uh, Re Return of the Sith. They could have actually named this film Return of the Sith because it's there. It's mentioned enough in this thing where it's like that's really what's happening is the Sith is returning. <laughs> right, because in this in more the book. Return of the Sith than Return of the Sith. It really yeah, is. That's because revenge of the, it, that was Revenge of the Sith. This is the oh, right. Return of the Sith. Oh, there you go. Yes. Right? Return of the Jedi, yeah. Revenge of the Sith. Like, obviously, they couldn't do it for those reasons. But, like, that was... that. I mean, that's a, an alternate title for this book. Yeah. Right. Cause, cause I just think book, it's I mean, about the dead speak. But go ahead. <laughs> right. Because we hear that... We see the dead speak in the, in the crawl when we go to the film. But we actually get that message that Palpatine has broadcast to the entire galaxy in the book here. And it's at last the work of generations is complete. The day of victory is at hand. The day of revenge. The day of the Sith. So to your point, Ben, this yeah. is more on the nose of the return of the Sith than even revenge of the Sith and things like that. So, right. Yeah, and, and they do say it in the movie as well. When, uh, like he, uh, the Emperor does say in that last battle, he's like, nothing can stop the or the you know return of the Sith. And I think yeah. that's actually in the uh, the ceremony for him to that's be right. killed. Right. So well, we should probably actually, go back to the beginning. Well, right? I was going to say that brings us right back into the book. Well done, Grant. Yeah. I feel like, um, you know, uh, overall, I feel like this book does a good job of really, I, I have a better understanding of what Palpatine's ploy was and why it was so, what the ticking clock was. There wasn't quite a clear ticking clock to me in the movie that came out. I'm like, you know, why couldn't Palpatine, why does it happen to happen now? Why couldn't it happen a year from now? Why is that? Well, you know what I mean? And this, and this book very much made it clear that Palpatine was on his last legs. Like he, throughout the book, he's decrepit and near death, right? At this point, like he has lived out his right. life as possible. Cause I, he, I like that. Yeah. Cause you, you get some more detail in the scene where Kylo 
first happens upon the emperor and you see that like whatever the bacta liquid that he's using it's pretty much empty like there's no more left like he's yeah. he's on his last leg quite literally like he there's not much left that's keeping him alive his life support and, is failing and each time you see him again in the book he's looking worse and worse and i feel like we didn't get that in the movie in the movie he just <laughs> yeah. looked kind of the same he looked bad he did not look healthy but looked kind right, of yeah. the same amount of bad all the way through Right. The, the um, quote um, Grant was a flash of lightning illuminated a huge glass tank containing three creatures. Oh, blah, blah, blah. Oh, sorry. Uh, no, that wasn't it. Oh, sorry. There it is. Uh, all the vials were empty of liquid save one, which was nearly depleted. Kylo peered closer. He'd seen this apparatus before. Clone Wars was a boy. Liquid flowing into the liquid nightmare before him was fighting a losing battle to sustain Emperor's putrid flesh. Yeah. You know, and, and all this stuff. And, and he even, I mean, he even his... Uh, lungs stop in the middle of a conversation, which I think yeah. he uh, Kylo thought it was a ploy, you know, to like, you know, be like, oh, I'm almost dead. You know, and we've seen him do that before. <laughs> but uh, it's it's yeah. like, yeah, literally, there's like yeah. three miles and they're about to go out. All right. But I want to back up. Yeah, that's chapter three. No, we're, there's one thing I want to be like, let's talk about how that's he got two. there. Right. We, we talk about yes. in the movie, he gets the Sith Wayfinder, which oh, he yeah. does in the book as well but there's another step before, <laughs> before between yeah. killing all the uh mustafarians and then getting the getting the sith wayfinder and that is when we're interested introduced to the eye of the webish bog my favorite star wars character maybe of all time and we'll <laughs> we never saw it on screen i know oh, yeah just an eerie eerie character that i thought would be fascinating in the film yeah um and this is kind of a good place to maybe jump back into the art of book because in the art of book, they keep referring to it as the or the Oracle, right? The Oracle. Sure. But that is the eye of the Webbish bot because it's exactly how it's described in the novel. And I mean, do either of you want to attempt how to describe this thing? I would love oh, it's to go sort for of, it. It's, it. Oh, you go for it then. <laughs> sure. I don't know. It, I mean, so so he comes out and it's so it's a hulking giant baby uh, of like an infant in. And so I, I'd love to dovetail into the art of because there's tons yeah. of art about this mm -hmm. and they actually yeah. poured the mold. They said it's the largest poured mold they've ever done of silicone. They wanted it to be another job of job of the hut. But yeah. so what it is, it's like imagine you're at a lake and there's a giant infant creature that's kind of sleeping that sort of comes out of the lake to shoulders with this like bald baby head in the in the art of its porcine, it has sort of like elvish ears and sort of a pig nose. Um, and then it has like this squid like character uh, with wide set eyes on the top of it, um, which is a symbiotic uh, creature that sort of lives off this giant that it that it's on. And yeah. this is the gatekeeper that is the the, the oracle that um, Ren needs to speak to and get verification from uh, in order to get the wayfinder uh yeah cool yeah it would make really like cool strange squealing noises and laughs at kylo which i thought was actually quite interesting for his character and probably worth keeping in the film because it, it, i mean i think its first reaction is to laugh at kylo and it's kind of yeah. like that was really interesting uh kylo Eventually, it points to the, the the area, this little like island in the pond where there is the wayfinder, and uh, um, Kylo just wades into the muck, like the water, and it's just yeah. it's just a really, really interesting scene. Um, 
just the just the kind of labyrinth esque kind of creature design of it. Like yeah. it's almost like it was also inspired by Miyazaki films in terms of mm-hmm. being this giant baby. Um, uh, just so so much interesting design that went into this creature. I know that's the thing, and so uh, on all of our other takes of this, I have voiced my sort of like. I know we've talked a lot about why wasn't this more obviously Mustafar and yeah. this would have this would have solved that in the art of they have a wide shot of Kylo Ren and it might even be like a screenshot. It might even be Adam Driver in front of this thing. It doesn't look like a hand painted thing. It like looked like there was VFX. Um, yeah. You see at the end of the art of book, they have they have a picture of Adam Driver in front of this creature. Mm-hmm. Uh, and but they have a wide shot and you see in the distance the uh vader's temple you see the the top of vader's vader's castle off in the distance and it's just like it makes so much more sense especially if he was talking about vader i mean that in and of itself would have you know and he's talking the the oracle's talking about mustafar um that you would just really make that that mustafar beat hit home which would have been really cool to know there it also makes more sense because it's like no that wayfinder isn't in the castle it's in it's outside on grounds that are nearby um, that are actually and, forested oh. and it's teeming with life and you know yeah. yeah and i was confused as to why mustafar would have these iron trees and things like and, and the the fen this kind of forest area but then i thought thought to myself again like the planets that characters are on or who, that characters have claimed are sort of like visual metaphors for the characters themselves and so as evil as vader was there was still some flicker of light inside of him as the emperor talks about some you know, flicker right. of life, and that is the trees on the planet. That's why Exegol is completely barren because it's a metaphor for the Emperor. You know, so it's like it starts. It's starting to make more sense in my mind. But I really liked all of these visuals, and there's even I think there's even concept art in the art of book about the the Knights of Ren and Kylo Ren. I think sieging the castle area on Mustafar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think you could have done a very tight opening where it's all the Knights of Ren and Kylo sieging the castle like Helm's Deep in the Two Towers and kind of uh, sieging, getting inside. And I think this thing could have been either in a biotank in the castle or in the bowels of the castle or in the Corvax ruins below the castle. And you could have had a very tight scene where you get all the way down to that thing. And then that thing points in the way of the Wayfinder. He gets the Wayfinder. He's off the planet. You know, it's a very tight scene, but there's lots of action. And it's really interesting. I don't think you need to even... I don't think you even need... Hucks and Pride standing in the forest, like watching Kyle. I don't even think you need that scene. I think that's, that's yeah. I think that scene's a waste. And I think that should have been cut. I think you could have had a very tight siege of the castle, uh, enter the castle, find the find the eye of the webbish bog, get the wayfinder, leave, and we get our first mention of the emperor. I think with the the, the eye of the webbish bog, where um, I believe the spider like creature says like to the hidden world of Exegol. Like this, the wayfinder leads to the hidden yeah. world of Exegol yep. to him. You don't get, you know, get Emperor by name, but I mean, mm-hmm. to him, I think it's the beginning of the journey. I think it's beautiful and mysterious and it kind of, it's a great way to start that, that quest, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, I, uh, I in the that. art of book, they mentioned that like that scene with Kylo, um, killing all, they, they use the word decimated incorrectly again, which just kills me, but decimate is just reduced to a, like a power, like a 10, he, right? Like that's when it. you take one out of 10, that's what that means. Yeah. But he killed You're everybody. Not, yeah. He you're annihilated. Yeah. That was the word you're looking for. So he annihilated right. him. And so, but they wanted it to be a um, Darth Vader in the hallway moment, like we get in Rogue One. And uh, I, I didn't yeah. quite get that. It was a little too operatic for um, 
for that to sort of hit home. I would have liked to see it more in, in live action. And it would have been a lot more linear if you saw Kylo Ren alongside the Knights of Ren doing it into the castle. Again, yeah. it's something it could have yeah. been, not should have been, but whatever. It would have been a great thing to see. And, and I think we should say um, there should have been a four-hour cut. We're just like, hopefully, let's all pray to uh, whatever. Uh, the the Webbish Bog. And, the eye of the webbish bog and that a four hour cut will come out and then we'll get to see this because it, it, you know, it will be there. Um, but there was one quote I did want to say, cause it was, it was beautiful. It was about it's Kylo Ren's point of view of Mustafar itself. And it was, um, it is, uh, the truth was Mustafar was teeming with life all connected through the force. Like those hopeless, hapless cultists he'd just killed who'd been obsessed with protecting Vader's legacy or this forest of twisted ironies they endeavored to cultivate. Or even the extra morphile organisms that swam, uh, swarmed to the lava flows. All fragile but determined, mutilated but indomitable. It was no wonder his grandfather had chosen this place for a home. I mean, yeah. it's beautiful prose and it's so illuminating and, and, it, and it really ties together what we're seeing with what we know of most of our. Yeah. By the way, canon check. <laughs> Vader didn't choose it. It choose, chose him or something? He, no, he was sent there by the emperor to that's where he would build his his castle. No, he did choose it. I he was he like, I sense, he did. he's like, I sense you need a planet or something like that, right? And he was like, yeah. Uh, okay, and that's where he chose. Like, All right. Okay. Yeah. And he's like, do your nice. vision quest. Take it back. Nice. Take that. Retracted. I'm retracting a lot in the last 24 hours. I'm making a lot of wild and incorrect claims. <laughs> that's what we're here for. It's a podcast. Let's make it exciting. Let's spice it up. Truth gets boring, right? Yeah, let uh, me tell you about why Rogue One's a waste. I'm kidding. That was my, mis- <laughs> that was my mistake. Text we dealt with night. that via text. Yes, I am. Yes. Don't play um, with your phone while watching Star Wars. That is the moral of that story. <laughs> yeah. You'll miss so, stuff. I never really registered this watching the film, but I, it's, it's, so ob- it's so clear. I mean, essentially, Kylo Ren is the Emperor's third apprentice, right? Yeah. Like, I guess Dooku mm, uh, is an apprentice to a degree, right? So yeah, Dooku is definitely yeah. an apprentice. So yeah, fourth, yeah, fourth, yeah. yeah, or yeah. fifth if we count Mara Kyle. Jade. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> who will be introduced in the comics shortly? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, uh, we get some so on Exegol, really beautiful descriptions uh, from Ray Carson when we get there. Um, uh, also, in the the path to Exegol, that uh, Kylo, they they talk about this the blood net. Did you guys pick up on that? They talk yes! about like, yeah. those, like yeah. those green nebulas that Kylo's like weaving through, or like it's called the blood net, and it's like that was it's, a, it's the only safe passage through the unknown regions. Like I thought that was really interesting, and it was cool that that was given a name, and so now we yeah. have a whole new term for that. Yeah, I'm glad you you brought that up. But yeah, it was so yeah. and they even looked like they, they described it as a grid pattern. It was like a different kind That's of right. hyperspace. It was like, yeah, it was there was a lot of science in this book, actually, which I really appreciated. There's very little science in this science fiction series. Uh, yeah. It's really more fantasy. But uh, I, I always love when they pepper in some science. Yeah. And then there's a lot of really interesting details in the art of book about the Wayfinder as well and how it can kind of read any data and it can be used for you know traversal to any star system and it's just really advanced technology yeah um pretty cool stuff um so on exit goal we get 
we get some cool visual descriptions of like the cultists, like their black headbear robes, like bandaged faces. Like I guess they're you can't see their faces because they're like bandaged and, and bizarre. Yeah, yeah, you can see it in the movie yeah. now. Like when I have like I'm able to look at it, they have their faces yeah. bandaged in black bandage underneath a yeah. black hood. And I right. thought I was like, oh, that's an interesting choice. But yeah, that that was a thing. We also get the uh, the techno crane or like jib arm that the emperor's on. We get a name. For I that? think you mean the omen, the mirror heart, yeah. the omen harness. <laughs> oh, the yeah. omen heart, omen harness. Uh, yeah, omen. a mechanical spine worn by an ancient uh, Sith king. Is that right? Yeah, yeah Kylo has seen this before while studying the Sith, and again while researching the clues about Vader's Rayfinder. Yeah. It was an omen harness, a mechanical spine once worn by an ancient Sith king. Yeah, so you just said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I just wrote that down instead of highlighting it. Um. Yeah, so uh, that was cool that we finally got a name for that. And there, it was used in the past that a Sith King had used this this harness before. That's pretty fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it's so great. Yeah, like, so I guess. Kylo just walks in there. He's like, oh, an almond harness. Huh, interesting call. <laughs> Classic <laughs> almond harness. harness. Oh, all right. Of course. How could the Emperor be alive? An almond harness. Maybe that oh, one. There's one on Exegol. Duh. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, what else do we get here that's different from the film uh, in this kind of beat between Kylo and the Emperor? Um, oh, you know what? The Snoke revelation gets a nice beat in the book. I would have loved an eerie, like, Terry Gilliam, like, Dutch angle of, like, a Snokehead in a tank, like, and Kylo <laughs> just being, you know, just a little, you know, surprised by it, not, like, overly reactive, but, like, with its you tongue know, just hanging something out. that could have, yeah, no, 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 not like a, <laughs> just like, like a look graphic, at it. not like a graphic match framing of, like, what happened to The Last Jedi, but just, like, it bumps <laughs> against the glass or in some weird, you know, oblique angle. Yeah, I just how he sees it in the movie. But if he took a like, if he stopped walking for a second and just like looked at his face as he's looking at the the vials, yeah, totally, like, totally would have done. What they said here. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Crazy. Have the emperor feed him some fish food while he's walking by. <laughs> <laughs> just sprinkle a little in those dry yeah. flakes. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah. But it's mostly yeah. the same as the film, right? There's not a lot different in terms of dialogue. Yeah. I don't have a ton of notes for a while, actually, in my book. I'm sure you guys do, but I'm like... Uh, I had a ton through here. It's like, yeah. Well, I had yeah, a lot was... on Exegol. Yeah, a ton on Exegol. And then after Exegol, was a Well, um, keep well, going. Kylo does mention that he did... He has always heard the Emperor's voice, even like... Uh, as a young man, it was like the wisp of a dream. Like, he would hear mm-hmm. that that voice in his head, even as, a, even as a young man. So it's like, oh, interesting. So, like, he's always heard the Emperor. I mean, we all assume that, based, especially based on the recent Charles Sewell you know, four issue. Um, right. Kylo yeah, Rise of Kylo Ren. Yeah. Rise of Kylo, yeah. Yeah, and it's he does make the whole Snoke thing. It, like, when they say Snoke was fake, it, it comes back and pays off at the end where he's just like, everything Snoke told me was a lie. That guy, like, he lied about everything. And, and, he, and that, yeah. it, that, that was the buzzing in his head. Plus, you know, and then obviously it was helped by uh, the Emperor the whole way through. Um, and, you know, there's even that quote, and I think this actually did make it to the film, but it was like, um he was like i killed snoke he was like just like Snoke. he's like i killed snoke i'll kill you and he's like snoke he's like he was nothing but your test you did well to destroy yeah. him that's right that's right that was different which yeah makes i a had lot that underlined too yeah yeah 
Um, yeah, and I mean, yeah, there was the, you know, his mechanical wheeze, his breath stopped completely. That was all new. Like, he, like, died in front of him. And he was like, <laughs> Kylo watched with detached interest, trying to gauge the creature's strengths and vulnerability. Like, does yeah. he have any? Is he doing it? No. Sleep apnea is rough. <laughs> yeah, especially in a clone, <laughs> a bad clone body. They they also described the vessel in a lot more clarity. I don't mm-hmm. have the exact quotes, but they were like, they said, you know, he he was able to transport his soul into this vessel, but like his like Sith helpers kind of oversold how nice it was. They're like, oh yeah, we're good, we're good, we're good. And then like he gets there and he's like, this is a POS. Like, what are we yeah. doing? You know? yeah. And it's like decrepit and it's not keeping him yeah, alive. It's, it's, and it's just like, they're like, yeah. what? Like, and he actually, I think he mentions, he was like, perhaps Plagueis was yeah. lied to me. He's like, maybe Plagueis yeah. lied, you know? Yeah. Perhaps he Which kept like, the, uh, the secret of eternal life to himself and didn't tell him the real method. <laughs> so yeah, he's yeah, ending I up know. in like putrid corpse after putrid corpse and yeah. living a miserable like, life. You know, the Sith Acolyte's <laughs> like, don't, don't, don't worry, we got Jib Arm for that. You're fine, you're <laughs> fine. Jib Arm, it's called a mom and Listen, harness. Listen, we have an omen. <laughs> oh, and harness, yeah. <laughs> like you want to call it a mom and harness, like mom and the dark, yeah. dark mom. Listen, we got a mom and mask and an omen harness. You're gonna be okay. <laughs> There's a young kid. His name's Kylo Ren. He's on his way. Take his body. You'll be all set. I think like um, the most undersold like fact about the Emperor slash um, Palpatine slash Darth Plagueis is that. He's wrong about a lot. He just lies. He fakes it till he makes it, man. He's just like, mm. oh, everything's proceeding how I have foreseen. And he's just like, flexing yeah. I never that. wanted like, to kill you. Yeah. 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 That's, that sounds weirdly <laughs> relevant, Ex- extremely timely and, and relevant. Someone who just lies yeah. as if the entire thing is going to plan. It's going to plan and then just claims victory when it goes well. And then when it doesn't, he's just like, no, I meant that for happen. We're going to need to do this other fall. thing. Yeah, I mean, he he does. He has strategy, unlike current leadership in our area, (laughs) you know, sector of the core worlds. But um, he yeah, but he you know, so he has contingency plans upon contingency plans. Uh But and and then just claims victory as soon as things work out. But it's just like but he makes mistakes. He screws it up. I think he claims that everything goes to his plan because he has planned for every possible outcome. Right. I think that's kind of his thinking is that there's not one possible route, but he's planned all routes. Right. And because of Vader's the flickering light inside Vader that kind of kept him pensive. Right. Like he was always going to have a contingency plan because he did have this feeling that Vader would betray him much like he betrayed Plagueis. And that's even talked about in the book. Yeah. That's uh, a nature of Sith. I mean, you got to expect that's going to happen eventually. That's, yeah. It's going to happen. Uh, Snoke didn't think that was going to happen. <laughs> I, what did, but, did Snoke think? That's actually a bizarre scene a to reflect upon when you think that it's Palpatine in Snoke's body. And I, I guess that was part of the test. <laughs> Snoke's a homunculus. Um, let's just move on. <laughs> Uh, it's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Um, so I mean, that's all I have for Exo, that first scene on Exegol. That's really all the notes I have. Yeah. I don't know if you guys have anything else. There's yeah, a lot. Five minutes. We're five minutes into the movie here, guys. Yeah, I know. We really got to dig through these chapters. <laughs> you know, let's just start going through the chapters. I have no notes. Part chapter, one of our ten-part series. <laughs> yeah. Right. My my next note is chapter four. So anyone for chapter three, go ahead. Oh, same here. I got nothing until chapter four. What do you got, Ben? I mine aren't broken down by chapter, so oh, you guys you go on with your. You oh, yeah. Mine's all, all right. mine's all chapter based. <laughs> yeah, same here. Can I? Ju- I'll jump in with the next one. We are now on. Um, we're back on. 
Oh, forgetting names Agent, of planets. Agent Quas. Agent Quas. Yes. Yeah. And it's a moon. So... It's a moon. Oh, oh yes, ah. moon. Agent Quas. Yeah. So they're kind of yeah. talking a bit about um, basically they have they've gotten the they basically they're like Palpatine's returned right, and there's a moment where Ray Singer herself and it says besides Luke notes uh, besides. Luke's notes had mentioned that Sheev Palpatine had been obsessed with the idea of living forever. He claimed to Anakin that he discovered the secret to eternal life from his own master, Darth Plagueis. Yada, yada, yada. Here's why that's really important. That means Anakin's ghost, at some point, had a conversation with Luke about the opera scene in Revenge of the Sith. Mm, And that is amazing to me. That is another mind-blowing moment. And... That actually connects to something else I'm going to talk about later when it comes to C-3PO, but we'll get there. That is pretty fascinating. Um, yeah. I got mostly caught up in all the lightsaber talk around here. <laughs> she like, There's a lot of Ray talking about lightsabers, and she's been studying it. Um, she says she learned a lot about lightsabers by reforging Luke's, and his Jedi techs had offered some guidance, like how to repair the kyber crystal. And that's actually a recurring theme in this novelization that didn't make it to the film but really makes a lot of sense. Like the that healing force power she learned to heal her kyber crystal before she healed the serpent. Yeah. Um, which was the same like force power, which was kind of interesting. But um it's yeah, it's amazing and, and how was, much in this book they kind of talk about how much how great of a student Ray is compared to Luke in some ways. Like she learned so much of her force stuff from these um from these texts. She learned floating from Leia. Yeah, they mentioned that in chapter one. So she's just kind of oh, like right, the perfect yeah. student. Right, because like they had a, like a, a meditation off between like scene between Luke and Leia. And Luke was like, yeah, but can you do it standing on one hand? And she did it floating like she did that like Yoda meditation scene floating. And then we see Leia doing uh, Ray doing the same thing. Yeah. D- yeah, uh, pretty. Yeah, it, it's, it's pretty interesting. So they're planting all these seeds about Leia and Luke and all these other like, you know, force power stuff. That's just like, oh, that makes so much sense. Do you feel like we lost Grant? He looks anyway. really still right now. <laughs> I think I, I think Grant's omen harness has failed him. OK, I'm going to cut right now. <laughs> all right. Where are we? And we're back. Uh, welcome back, Grant. Fantastic Sorry back. we lost here. you there. I'm here too. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're still on Asian Kloss. I know, I know, Grant, I think you had some some ideas or some, some notes. Yeah, I'm back to the blood net, guys. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> so there's a really interesting Maz and Leia moment uh, mm-hmm. in the book that's Ooh. not in the film uh, that makes me think it's from a preliminary script. Uh, or earlier draft of the film, because I think the scenes they have with Leia were either between Han and Leia or Maz and Leia, because I know J.D. did shoot Maz and Leia in for The Force Awakens and the, the, the passing off of the lightsaber, and it's sort of that moment again in this storyline of her giving her the saber, and, and um, it was interesting, and, and you can sense that Leia senses that Maz has the force or it has this bigger energy that's not really displayed. And, and we know that JJ originally had Maz be this force sensitive character, much like Yoda, but um, they cut eventually cut that scene where, where Maz uses the force. And so 
it's kind of cool that that's brought back into the story in an interesting way. And I feel like if they hadn't figured out how to, uh, you know, put Daisy and Leia's footage together, they would have had to use Maz and Leia and use this very scene because I know this was the original scene that they had to work with. Right. Yeah. It, so that's yeah. kind of my thoughts on that moment. Reading this and, and your quote right there made me remember when we had those theories that this movie was going to start with a funeral for um, Prince, uh, Princess Leia mm-hmm. and like how different yeah. a movie that would be. Um, and I mean, it, it was a road, but it sounds like a road that they didn't want it. Like they just didn't want to write her out. She was too important. Mm-hmm. It really, I mean, they turned this movie into a tribute to Carrie Fisher. I actually saw they mentioned in the um, art of that uh, Pinewood Studios named a building, uh, the Carrie Fisher building, which is mm. quite an honor. Um, yeah. Yeah. Of, like, you know, and, and this, you know, they wanted to make it a thing. And I guess we, we sort of overlooked, you know, underestimated how dear Carrie Fisher was to this group. And, and, and that's, you know, sort of the direction they went. But um, yeah, yeah, but if had they gone that route, then maybe it would have been Maz who would have been the, you know, the, the teacher for for Ray. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I read every time I saw a Leia line in the book, similar to the movie, I was trying to think about, you know, was this recycled dialogue from outtakes of The Force Awakens? And I think a lot of this stuff still was um, because a lot of it, she still even in this book, her lines are very sparse and can be taken from other places. So I think and this is pretty frequently monosyllabic. Yeah, I think it's close to what the script, what they yeah. knew they had to work with. Um, and you know, I can jump in this. Well, Ben, I know you had something. Do you have something you want to say? I feel like I, you should. What's your next note? No, you didn't. Uh, you didn't. You didn't cut me off. No. I, I was. All right. I was talking about Agent Klaus, but I, I'm looking. Yeah, I, I just that there was a lot of Beaumont kin in this as well, which um, <laughs> there sure is Dominic yeah. Monaghan's character, and we sort of laughed a lot about <laughs> Captain Exposition. Uh, yeah, guys, just, I think it does. Beaumont Kin kind of doubles as a medic in this book. I think he like patches yeah. up Poe at one point. I was like, yeah. oh, I never saw that scene in the movie, right? Like, no, that's it a might shame. be in the movie actually. I, I I need to check it again. But he just like wordlessly comes up to Poe, who has like a you know a wound, a blaster wound in his arm, mends it without talking to him, and walks away. Yeah, <laughs> which is like oh, right. it's kind of cool because he was like Poe. He's like I was in no mood. He was in no mood for Beaumont Kin at that moment. He's like, listen, yeah. I've heard all your exposition yeah. and all your scholarly I mean, who advice. Is? <laughs> right. I love Beaumont Ken. I think he's the great. Uh, and he cool. there's a couple delivers a couple of great lines. So that was that was my one thing was that there's some some Beaumont Ken here. There is some definitely some more Beaumont Ken. I, I think the other thing that's interesting in, in this this scene on Ajon Class is that um you know, similar to the clicking, the clicking talk, I was about to say, the ticking clock that we mm-hmm. learn about with the emperor, we see that there's also a clicking talk. God darn it. Uh, ticking <laughs> clicking clock. talk works in Star Wars in a lot it of does, ways. Right? There should clicking be talk. more clicking talk. Um, with Leia, that Leia is not doing yeah. physically well. And it's, they kind of state straight out that her, um, what happened to her in episode eight has taken a physical toll on her and she is near death for a lot of the movie. She's She's dying, basically. And she's having conversations throughout the movie with Luke. I know. Luke. I mean, yes. dude, Luke is like heckling her. He's like, just die already. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, not so many words, but he's like, it's. Yeah. I mean, he's described as being like 
quite feeble. Yeah. Novel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I kind of get why they ended up cutting that from the movie. I think they wanted Luke's reveal in the movie to be more more meaningful, come at a specific time and not have his literal ghost haunting the rest of the film. Right. But I kind of miss the brother sister stuff. Like I kind of miss that. I kind of wish uh, they had added that in. I don't know how I feel about that. I keep going back and forth. What do you all think? I, I kind of think I land on the movie on this one of saving Luke until that moment, you know, towards the end. But man, I would have loved to hear conversations between Luke and Leia at the same time. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm very pro Force Ghost. They used it mm-hmm. liberally in the original trilogy, and uh, I think this is a perfect. Like, they should have been Force Ghosts for this whole thing. I mean, it would have been great to see a Yoda and Leia scene or a flashback or like you know, whatever. But this specifically, this conversation between Leia and Luke, and just like having just like the Obi Wan Kenobi, like it's time, Leia. You know, it's time. Yeah. And she yeah. just sort of like looks up to him and being like, you know, this this drumbeat that sort of goes on through the movie in her head. And so you sort of, you know, you don't expect it, but I mean, I don't, I don't know, maybe you do. It sort of leads in and you're like, Oh, now we like the whole movie. You're like, what's she going to do? What's it time for? What's it time for? And then we ultimately get it. Um, it would have, yeah, yeah, like it. it. it's, it's a good character moment for Leia too. Cause it shows, it shows her being willful and stubborn again. And but willful, I'll go with willful. She's a very willful person. And I like that, that even like she's, she's pushing away death through this entire series and that she wants her death to be extremely meaningful. Right. Like I like that, that, that she picks her, she picks her death. Right. Which I think right. is really she's important. Like, for that I'm going to maximize my death, like my death. That's, that's mm-hmm. going to be an event I can use to leverage my legacy and I'm going to do it. Yeah. You know, right. Yeah. And save the galaxy basically be the catalyst that saves the galaxy again. Again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so awesome. Yeah. So then yeah, I, quite I liked it. And, and, and her easing into that, departure that drifting into the force like is illustrated so beautifully in the book like ray carson does such a good job of talking about how she is slowing down and her bones ache and uh you know uh she is she is feeling feeble like it's 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 beautifully relayed in the book and you don't so much feel that in the film because they're reusing footage from the force awakens like right if they grade her hair if they made her a little weaker if they showed some sort of you know from you know her walking away from behind and she's actually slowed and and aching like i think i think it really would have been a beautiful kind of it would have it would have foreshadowed the the end really and her communion with luke throughout the book is really beautiful and i think that i i always felt that that was happening in the movie almost like it was weird almost like the twins felt very connected in the movie but uh you never really got explicitly those conversations no yeah yeah, I don't know. More force force goes the better. Like I, I just I just love it. But um yeah, so it it was great in this thing. Um do we want to move on to the next scene? Um I think that might have been the Sinta Glacier colony. Um, which is you know, whatever. This is the scene where um the, the Falcon goes and steals the or gets the the intel um from a spy and then, you know, the exciting leave and all that. The only thing that like was really uh um, I, I just I, I like the name the Sinta Glacier Colony, yeah. um, but it also it was very cool the concept art for this and and the ultimate yes. art was obviously fantastic but the concept mm-hmm. art 
they wanted just like a frozen rock in space that was being mined for its like water or its resources or something. And so they had like these really elaborate um, colonization of this ice rock going through space. And um, that, I don't know, they, the concept art was breathtaking. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, do you know, do you know, it's every time I see that in the movie now, it's always going to remind me of the time we broke down the 42nd trailer where they showed that floating through space for 45 minutes. Do you remember that one, guys? <laughs> and I had, uh, a, yeah, <laughs> I, had a, I had a 10 minute debate with you whether that was a, a rock floating in space, which, by the way, I think we can check that into Adam was right for once category. Nice. <laughs> so um, we are going to break uh our segment up in half here because we seem to be a bit long-winded and um you know we want to do multiple episodes so um we're going to stop here thanks very much for listening please uh, check out our follow-up which will do the uh finale of the rise of skywalker novelization expanded edition um and uh we'll talk to you then and may the force be with you this is Grex Kondak signing off. For the latest breaking news, follow at Coreworld News on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you and good night. Remember, the Force will be with you always. Yeah.